This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Hello and welcome to the Talking Geosciences podcast, brought to you by the School of Geosciences at the University of Aberdeen. Over the course of this series, we will hear staff and students discuss how their teaching and research is helping us understand and address contemporary global challenges, including sustainability and climate change. In this episode, Irmin Rashem, a PhD candidate in the Department of Archaeology, introduces us to different approaches to archaeological research and also tells us about what her study of human remains is revealing about the effects of climate change on people during the medieval period. So hi Armin, you're very welcome to this episode. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners who may not have studied or encountered archaeology before, can you tell me uh, you know, generally what, what, what is archaeology and what does it entail? Um, thank you for welcoming me here. Um, I'm very happy to be talking about archaeology today. Um, it, archaeology is a very large subject, so you, you might be familiar with um, media representation of archaeology, like Time Team that I've heard a lot about and things like that, but this isn't... Archaeology in general is just the study of humans in the past, and it can be about fieldwork that like you've seen on Time Teams um, in a very kind of out of the way way it is a bit of what you see in Indiana Jones as well uh, but it can also be lab work uh, like you might have seen in series like Bones or this is kind of more forensic side but is exactly what what osteoarchaeologists do for example is the same techniques they just work in a lab they don't necessarily go dig up the the skeletons themselves but they there's this whole part of archaeology that's kind of behind the scenes and and not out in the field uh, getting rained on particularly in the UK and then you have a, a whole side of archaeology that's about archives and uh, pottery and painting and, and whatever whatever you want really can be part of archaeology as long as it is about humans in the past, uh, which by the way doesn't have to be Bronze Age or medieval times or whatever. There's even funded projects about the archaeology of COVID now of COVID that's happening. So it is the past doesn't have to be hundreds of years ago it can just be just a few years ago as long as there is humans and material culture then it can be archaeology yeah and uh, what aspects of human life and human existence could could an archaeologist study you know i mean could it be about like the way people lived or maybe like what they worked or as or their diet or health or things like that like what kind of things can archaeology tell us about the past again pretty much if you have people and if you have any sort of material culture then you know you you can go and have fun with it so i'm a bioarchaeologist myself so i'm more concerned with things like health of the people um, um, population migration, diets, uh, all of that, and that we have a lot of different tools that we can use to to study those different aspects of life. But obviously, all of that ties in with people had certain jobs and they had uh, certain um, agricultural practices, and they it all kind of ties together because obviously you can't just study one aspect of life without taking the others into account. You know, life isn't that nicely divided into boxes mm -hmm. um 
uh, there is yeah you, you can kind of study whatever you want in it really it can be more philosophical of kind of what were what were people concerned with how they experienced the space how they uh, and then it can be more kind of physical of what did they eat and um how did they survive and it it very much depends on the material culture that you have access to and at the end of the day what you're interested in really. yeah and can you tell me then um you mentioned there briefly about you know some there's different ways of studying uh the past and, and archaeology uh you know you mentioned there about you know a lot of people will think you know about like how archaeology is represented in the media particularly around like field work and and, and excavations and things like that and then you mentioned you're like more on the bioarchaeological side which i think is probably is that like more lab based or how how would that what would a, an archaeologist actually how as an archaeologist like how do you actually conduct your your research uh yeah absolutely i'm not i'm not going out in the field uh, not at the moment um but um i i do all of my work uh, in my lab and then once i've got all my data on my computer um and uh, so, so what I particularly do is study human skeletons. So uh, these have been dug up um, quite a few years ago now, the one that I, looked, that I look at, I think about 15 to 20 years ago, if I remember correctly, depends on the collections. Um, and these were all part of rescue excavations, which is the, the main way that, that archaeological remains are excavated in the UK nowadays. You might be familiar with the fact that uh, nowadays if a building needs to be built then archaeological assessments need to be done beforehand to make sure that nothing is being destroyed nothing is being lost um, and the collections that i'm looking at in aberdeen they were buried in town and obviously town has developed over the years and more and more buildings have popped up and they needed some space and as part of this whole process then those those remains were risk rescued and are now being studied so that we can get you know all the information that we need out of those people uh, and in that way the, the remains weren't destroyed uh, they weren't obviously they, they were moved but they weren't significantly affected by um the you know nowadays kind of developments of the city uh, but and then we as researchers have access to material that we can study okay great so can you tell me a little bit more specifically then about your own research like what kind of things are you looking at uh sure uh so i I'm very passionate about climate change and I kind of find a way to study climate change from an archaeological perspective and I'm uh, looking at how climate change in the medieval period affected people's respiratory health so that's a fancy way of saying we went from a period of um, quite kind of warm prosperous times in the medieval times and in the 14th century the little ice age started and it got quite cold and unpredictable and what I want to know is if that affected people's ability to breathe at the time. And so I'm comparing groups from before and after, um, looking at their skeletons, looking for evidence of a disease of the respiratory system. And then hopefully at the end of my PhD, then I will have an answer to, you know, did it affect them positively, negatively, did it not affect them at all? And hopefully that could feed into understanding climate change in the future do we need to, you know, be concerned about our respiratory health and climate change at all? Or is this one of the things that at least we don't have to worry about, you know? So that's kind of the point of what I'm doing. Oh, that's fascinating. So can you tell me a little bit more in detail about how you actually conduct this research? Is it predominantly, 
you know, using advanced laboratory techniques or, or how do you actually go about, you know, uh, uh, looking at respiratory health from, from bone materials? Uh, sure. So, again, I'm, I'm trained as an osteoarchaeologist or paleopathologist, which are both, you know, words that are too complicated for what they are. I study the human skeleton and I look for evidence of disease on it. Um, and that, that's what paleopathology is, it's disease in the past, essentially. Um, and because I care about respiratory health, then I look for areas that are the, the bones that are around the, the parts of our body that help us breathe. So the ribs, for example, because you might think lungs kind of, I need to breathe, my lungs need to be fine. And so I look at uh, any sort of disease that I can see on the ribs. But I also look at the maxillary sinuses, which are the, basically it's, a big part of your nose and what allows you to breathe and the cavities are right under your eyes and that's you yeah, they're part of the respiratory system and i look at ears as well because the nose and the ears are, are connected if i'm sure you've had a cold in your life and you know you felt a bit like you know your nose was a bit congested and then you had ear pains like that you know that shows you how how related they are so i'm looking at all of these areas um to for any sign of disease so that can be new bone that isn't quite supposed to be there that is present on on the ribs or in the sinuses or uh, large porosity so loads of little holes in your bones that again aren't really supposed to be there if you're healthy and so i look for for signs like this and then kind of i'm looking at them on very large populations of hundreds of skeletons so that then i can do paleodemography which again is demography of the past uh, and kind of looking at populations in the past and kind of trends of respiratory health and then compare that to to trends in climate changes and again hopefully finding anything that you know would suggest that there's a relation between the two right so um in terms of our present day study of climate and climate change then what do you think you know your research or archaeological research generally can contribute to our understanding of climate change today mm -hmm. As I, as I said before, my research aims to kind of answer the question of do we need to be worried about this at all? And if so, how did it impact people in the past? Because at the end of the day, I'm, obviously I'm an archaeologist, so I'm very biased here, but I, I think if we want to know how people adapted to things in the past to be able to you know, figure out what to do now, then maybe we should ask the people first and they might not be able to tell us everything, but they've kept record of things, they've written things down. And there is so much in your skeleton that you're not realizing is kind of being recorded about your life. So obviously my approach, because of what I do, is let's see what the people can tell us first. And then based on that information, does that help us now? So what, what my research is doing is, do we need to be concerned about climate change and respiratory health? And especially with COVID happening a few years ago, and I guess still kind of happening, um, it, it, has, it is something that we've talked about a lot, the respiratory system being affected by disease and all the kind of climate crises that we're going through today. So it's particularly relevant. Um, but for archaeology in general, it can be, it, particularly for agriculture, actually, it's being used more and more to uh, determine how sustainable something really is. Because sustainability isn't, isn't about a quick fix. It's not about... It's not even about being resilient. You don't want to be able to just power through. You need to make sure that something can, can be sustained through time. And time isn't 20 years 
it's not 50 years. It's We want to know if something can work hundreds of years down the line. Because again, we're not talking about a quick fix. And archaeology has access to data that can, you know, come go back to millennia ago, not just centuries. And it might not be as precise as recorded data or measured data, like, you know, measured temperatures and things like that. But that sort of data has only existed for the past, I'm going to be generous, about 50 years. I think it's more somewhere like 30. Uh, but we, we, it's not a very long time. And so archaeology has access to data that dates back to the medieval times and even as far as the Bronze Age, even probably past that if you look at landscape archaeology. Um, so being able to see how something is from a sustainability perspective comes with having to be able to look very far back, to be able to look very far ahead. I'm not sure if that made a lot of sense, but uh, archaeology very much feeds into those climate models and things like that, because the more data you have, the, the more precise you can be in the future. Great. Okay. So you mentioned um, the collections that you work with here at Aberdeen. Yes. Um, is that what attracted you to come to study archaeology? Because I know here in, in Scotland, because I, obviously I know you're, you're from France originally, mm -hmm. you studied, I think you said, in, in England, you did your undergraduate studies yes. there. So what attracted you to, to come and study this subject for your PhD in, in Scotland or in Aberdeen specifically? So for my PhD, I'm looking at both uh, Scotland and Ireland, um, like collections from both Scotland and Ireland. And the, the collections I'm looking at in Scotland are mostly from Aberdeen specifically. And Aberdeen historically is a very interesting place because we're so close to the sea, we're so close to a lot of countries in Northern Europe as well. Uh, and it used to be a, a very important harbour and there used to be a lot of trades happening. So <laughs> the complexities of it makes it very you know, interesting and exciting to work on because it means that the people that lived in Aberdeen were exposed to a lot of things, which because I'm interested in disease means that they were <laughs> you know, exposed to a lot of interesting disease and died in very interesting ways. Uh, but it also means that in terms of material culture, you have things coming from all over the world. You have people coming from all over the world. And so you end up with a very culturally diverse place in northeast Scotland, which you wouldn't necessarily expect, you know, when you when you first uh, think of Aberdeen, you wouldn't think, oh, yes, culturally incredibly diverse and um, w with goods coming from all over the world. So that that really appealed to me, kind of having that complexity in it and all the things that all the stories of the people at the end of the day is what I'm interested in. Yes, there's the climate, there's the respiratory health, but all of that is how did people conduct their lives? And if they have interesting lives, then it's even more interesting for me as an archaeologist. Um, and on top of the collections themselves, um, which have also been quite understudied so far, because we haven't had them for that long. So there's a lot of opportunities for research there. Uh, there's also the fact that at Aberdeen, the Department of Archaeology is part of the Geoscience School, which is incredibly rare because there's, obviously there's a very good argument for archaeology being a, a humanities discipline, and we very much are, but we are also becoming more of a scientific um, discipline. So there's also an argument for it to be with other sciences like it is in Aberdeen. And as I said, I'm very passionate about climate change. So that means that being part of this school, I can you know, wander around the corridor and like make friends with researchers that I'm going to work with that work on uh, palynology, so the study of pollens and uh, glaciers and soil chemistry and all of these things that were very relevant to me and I'm being exposed to that just by, you know, going to like grab a coffee down, <laughs> down the, the corridor. 
Um, so I, I, that's the main reason why I chose archaeology really is being able to become a researcher that would work with other disciplines and that, that would have an understanding of all of these other things that I'm interested in. Um, but from my kind of perspective of being an archaeologist as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything in the in the climate record or archaeological record? Uh, you mentioned your your focus is on Scotland and Ireland. Yeah. Um, is there anything distinctive about the climate record in Scotland versus other parts of Europe at that time? You mentioned the Little Ice Age. I think you said it was of the uh, 14th yes. century. Was there anything? particularly distinct here compared to how, you know, for example, in England or, or other parts of Europe? Uh, yes, absolutely. The, so the, the climate transition that I'm looking at, as I mentioned, happened in the 14th century, went from the medieval warm period uh, to the Little Ice Age. These names are very, very convenient. They're very, very descriptive. Um, and uh, in more kind of like the south of Europe, they didn't feel it quite as much. There is records of things being found in France and seeing that there was a bit of a, of a wobble around the 14th century, that there was a bit of a struggle, but it, it wasn't as big of an issue kind of more south. Uh, and even in England and in, in most of the country, I'm not saying it wasn't an issue at all, but it wasn't an issue to the extent that it was in northern Europe. Um, so there are people working on those climate transitions in um, Scandinavian countries, for example, because they have quite a lot kind of that happen and they were a lot more affected. And then Scotland and Ireland, Scotland particularly, um, was also quite significantly affected by it. Um, and because it is a lot far, farther north than England and the south of Europe is, then felt it to a much greater extent, which obviously is brilliant for me because archaeology is you know sparse enough as it is in terms of what you have to work with to begin with so at least having kind of clear marked differences that we know of is a you know a lot it, it makes life a lot easier to you know get started with the research great so um as a you know for listeners who might be have never studied archaeology before might be looking at, you know, uh, interested in studying archaeology when they when they come to university. Um, if you were to maybe think back to when you were first deciding, you know, what to study at university, what is it essentially that attracted you to, to archaeology? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that my choosing archaeology started at a university level. I kind of decided when I was three that I wanted to be an archaeologist because I thought that Egyptology was really cool <laughs> and uh, kind of decided that like this is what I'm going to do. I had very limited understanding of, uh, of what an archaeologist actually was, but I knew that they were looking at cool things and I stand by that statement. I still think it's true. Um, but then when I, I kind of started university, I just knew I wanted to be an archaeologist. I didn't quite understand the, the range of archaeology that exists because you can pick any time period, any aspect of human life, and you have a speciality. So there's, there's just so much that you can do, really. The sky's the limit. You just need to be able to you know, be creative enough to find like, something you're particularly interested in, and that can be part of archaeology. So I just kind of started with a very broad archaeology degree and you kind of just need to start there to kind of get an understanding of how wide of a subject it is. Um, and Aberdeen very much has a similar course as part of uh, their undergrad uh, degrees that uh, people that might be interested in archaeology can take. It kind of, the kind of early levels of the course, like here's the range of what you can do from fieldwork, lab work, 
archives, all of it, and then you can you have opportunities to kind of see a bit more of whatever side you're more interested in. So I chose osteoarchaeology because I've always been you know very interested in human skeletons. That sounds like a very weird sentence, but it's uh, just being able to tell people's stories without them being there to tell it to us. And there's I think there's something very poetic about being able to give people their, you know, their, their whole life back in a way and then gaining something from it. And so I was very passionate about that quite early on and then decided to specialize in, in osteoarchaeology, then had a bit of a crisis uh, when I realized how bad the environment was doing and kind of considered stopping archaeology because I thought if I'm, if I'm going to be as educated as I am, then I should have the you know be trained to like make a difference like yes archaeology is amazing but i i want to be able to make a difference in this world to some extent and i want my research to matter and to help and luckily i found out that archaeology is also a way to do that and a pretty essential one if you if you want to you know really understand where we're going in the future you kind of need to understand where we came from and how we've done things beforehand to either repeat what worked and know better with what didn't work um and there's there's a lot of room in Aberdeen to do all of that as well you you have a lot of kind of modules that are available to either specialize in in bio -arc or in field archaeology or osteoarchaeology or a plant archaeology um i'm sure there's an actual word for it but <laughs> uh, uh, you can study animal bones human bones uh, ancient DNA, isotopes, and all of that is also is also relevant to the sort of studies. It's just all the different tools that we have, and um, and there's opportunities for that as well. If you are very you know intrigued by it and passionate about it, the, you can have like lab experience in Aberdeen at an undergrad level, which is actually quite rare um, in universities. So. Great. So um, I just want to kind of come back to something you touched on there in terms of you're somebody who has a, an interest in, in, in climate and climate change. How do you think your own research informs how you think about climate change today and, and into the future? Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, I, I started off my PhD already knowing quite a bit about climate change today. I, I did my master's dissertation on climate change today from an archaeological perspective. Um, and so I kind of thought I had quite a good understanding of the, the difficulties of talking about climate change. Um, and what I realized with studying climate in the past is that there's so much more complexities between the climate and the people. So I'm going to try to articulate this in a way that makes sense because complexity is always hard to talk about. But, you know, you have the climate and we, we talk about it so much in the media, like the temperatures are rising, there's more, more rainfall, less rainfall in some places, and we're very focused on the actual pure climate of it all. And then we talk about the people, but there's so much in between. And obviously you live your life adjusting to... to to the climate that you have. So I, I don't know if this image is going to speak to a lot of people, but I love theatre and I love musicals. So this is kind of how it is in my head. But it's like you've dis you've written a play, which is a life, for example, in the medieval period. Um, and you have all of your decor and your costumes. But at the end of the day, the play that you can put on and everything that you've had to adjust for the play and to plan for the play 
is framed by the theater that you're playing it in. And that's how I see climate is the climate in the, is the theater. It kind of just provides the framework where the play can exist. And then you just have to plan your life. You have to build certain decor so that it, you know, it won't fall off because the theater is built a certain way. And, um, and the costumes need to be a certain color because otherwise it doesn't show or whatever. And this is what, what life is like. And, and then you have the actors that are the people. So I, I used to only see the theater and the actors. And now I see that there's the theater, but then there's all of, all of the mise-en-scene and then there's the actors. And the mise-en-scene is incredibly hard to deal with in the past, kind of having to understand what were even the, the different elements that were placed on the stage, uh, because we weren't there, so we have to figure it out. And then you have, and, and today we also can't just be thinking about the climate, and yes, we're trying to get a handle on limiting carbon emission, emissions and staying on top of that, but we also need to think about the people. Why do we care about getting a handle on the climate? It's because the people need to live a certain way. And sometimes I feel like in this, conversations we kind of lose everything that's in between but it doesn't make sense if you don't know what's in between if you don't know how people live then you can't you can't come up with mitigations or policies that will that will help the people and make them live the, the way that they need to live so i don't know if that made any sense in my head it's crystal clear but um hopefully that that was a, a good image that kind of I didn't understand all of the complexities that were between what we talk about in the media and the people that have to live their lives. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that was really well explained. And, and certainly food for thought, I think, probably is something that is a gap in, in the way we all think about, about climate change today. So, well, thanks so much for your time um, today, Ermin. Really fascinating insight into archaeology generally and also specifically your own research. And, and again, that, you know, the link to, to climate change. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much for the opportunity. You've been listening to the Talking Geosciences podcast from the School of Geosciences at the University of Aberdeen. For more information about our teaching and research, visit our website www.abdn.ac.uk geosciences or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.